So today I have Preston Taylor joining us and Preston is an amazing wildlife trailer. He lives out in California, Northern California, just near the Oregon border. Um, he's a specialist in trailing black bears and he's also author of the book, Tracking the American Black Bear. He's a cyber tracker evaluator and really great to have him join us today and, and appreciate your time, Preston, welcome. Thanks, it's great to be here, Lee. Well, hey, Preston, uh, just getting started, uh, you have a really interesting history. And uh, if you don't mind just kind of covering that, you know, where you grew up, how you got into the outdoors, obviously trailing specifically, and particularly your interest in black bears, how that all came about. Yeah, uh, I, I grew up in Boston, Massachusetts, uh, right in the middle of the city. Um, I really was a, a city rat for, you know, the first part of my life in um, childhood and teenage years. Uh, but my dad, you know, my dad grew up in the mountains in North Carolina and, and he was a scientist and was interested in the natural world. And so he, you know, engaged me in, in activities here and there um, with nature um, that, you know, laid a, a foundation, I think, for me to follow later in life. Um, you know, he, he really enjoyed digging clams and, you know, we're, we're here to talk about tracking and at its most basic level tracking is just, you know, making observations of disturbances, you know, against the background. And, and so, you know, these little things that my dad did with me digging clams or trying to catch crabs or, you know, observing the planets, stuff like that, I think played a role, you know, later in my, um, pursuit of learning about nature, you know, but it, was, it wasn't really until um, when I was 16 that I went to a, a wilderness program out in Utah and we lived in the desert and mountains for a couple months um, that I really got involved in the natural world, um, you know, making fire, you know, with sticks, there was no lighters or matches, sleeping under the stars, or if it did rain under a tarp, just out there in the elements um, for, for a long period of time. And, and that's was where that I started. Boss, by the way? No, it wasn't. It's was called Wilderness Quest. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, I yeah, think yeah. I heard of those guys. Yeah. It was pretty cool. Definitely changed my life. Um, and then I went to high school in Idaho after that. And, we're, you know, we spent a lot of time in the mountains, too. And so, mm. so after high school... I moved back to the East Coast and, and I was there for a few months trying to figure out what to do and, and eventually moved up to uh, Vermont and, and started being a part of that community up there, the Vermont Wilderness School, and really diving into to tracking and to, you know, primitive skills and, and naturalist knowledge, natural history, all those kinds of things. And that's where I, I started focusing on learning about um, animals, learning about tracking um, and, you know, really... I spent, you know, so that was, you know, when I was 19 and then I, I spent a good four or five years really um, just working there and focused on learning about animals and um, decided to go back to school to get a degree in wildlife management. And so while I was going to school, I also started uh, pursuing um, the cyber tracker certification process. And so kind of in conjunction of studying academic wildlife um, conservation, I was also trying to attain the, you know, senior tracker certificate with, within the cyber tracker system. Um, and, and so pretty much just focused on 
school and tracking for, you know, 10 years. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. That, that's really interesting, actually, because that's sort of full circle. Uh, I teach tracking courses at a couple of two or three universities, and I'm really always pushing CyberTrack or Eval, you know, because it's such a great learning experience. And so you, you kind of did that on your own way back in the day. You know, you're studying it, and then at the same time, you're trying to get certified. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. It's a, it was a, a good process. You know, I learned a lot about um, wildlife, but and also a lot about myself. You know, when you're yeah when you're going for those last couple of points and, and, you know, battling yourself in your head and, you know, self-confidence and everything like that, it's amazing what it brings up in you. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that is great. And then, um, so from there, you, you were still out East. How'd you end up in California? And, no. So, uh, so when I started school, I moved out West and I was okay. going to community college. I went to community college for, um, four years. I would take, I take a couple of classes and then if I could get a seasonal wildlife technician job somewhere in the country, I would take that and take a semester off. And so I was kind of bouncing around from um, seasonal wildlife jobs back to school. So it took me about four years to get enough credits to transfer. And then I transferred up here to where I live now, up in Humboldt County to Humboldt State University. Yeah. It's now a Cal Polytech, um, but um, transferred here, finished my degree here. And I've stayed here, you know, since I graduated. Yeah. Wow, that, that's incredible. And is that where you got into, you know, black bears or how did that transpire? Yeah. Is that a gradual? Yeah, I mean, I, it wasn't like an intention of mine to like really focus on bears. But, um, you know, where I live now is one of the highest densities of black bears on the continent. Um, we, we have a ton of bears. It's really cool. Um, and so just being thrown into this world with all these bears, it's hard to, you know, operate in the natural world without interacting with them. Yeah. And, and so I did sort of really start focusing on them and, and spending a lot of time around them and tracking them and learning about them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that That's really cool. And, and then the hunting part came later. I know. Cause you're a bow hunter, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. I don't, I don't, when I moved out West, I started hunting too. So kind of like, I think I was 24 when I went back to started going back to college. And so right about right kind of around the same times I, I started going to college. I started doing the cyber tracker certifications and I started hunting. Yeah. Okay. And, and this yeah. took, um, I, I just happened over a period of years, right? So it's just this constant learning process. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, the, you know, yeah, school took me because especially because I was bouncing back and forth between seasonal jobs, you know, it was like eight years or nine years or something to get my bachelor's. And then um, <clears throat> the cyber tracker process, when I when I first started that, you know, I'd already been tra tracking for four or five years, um, but to uh, get a senior certificate took me nine years of doing the evaluations. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, through all that whole time too, you know, learning about hunting and, you know, um, that whole process. Yeah. Yeah. And just, we may talk more about cyber tracker later, but, uh, for people listening at uh, the senior, correct me if I'm wrong here, but <clears throat> you have to excel and get the highest certification, both tracking and trailing, right? Yeah. Uh, so it's a hundred percent on a track and sign specialist evaluation and a hundred percent on the trailing specialist evaluation. Yep. Yeah, and I can attest that is exceedingly difficult. Um, yeah, which is so, 
some people might be listening thinking, wow, you know, nine years and all that. It's like, yeah, that's, um, you know, some people do it in less, but I, I've heard <laughs> stories. People have done it longer. Right. So Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, uh, and, and I, it's, it's, you know, everybody, it's, it's a different journey for everyone. So, you know, some people, <clears throat> yeah, some people get there quicker than others, but it's all a journey, you know, and, and, it's not like you're arrive anywhere at the end, you know, there's still so much to learn, you know. I, I mentioned, I think I told you this before <laughs> offline, but I mentioned to Steve Ranella when I was on his podcast a few months ago, I was like, there's this guy that you should go out with in California, you know, trailing <laughs> bears. And he's not really, well, I don't know. I don't want to say he's not a bow guy, but he's a gun guy, I think. But nonetheless, I was like, you need to go with this so um anyway i'm gonna mention that to him again if i chat with him again but um, okay yeah. thanks yeah. yeah i think he i think he said one time that he's a good tracker um or he said he's really good at identifying sign because he likes to trap beavers you know yeah 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 yeah, yeah you That'd know I, I was interesting i found out more about him um i i, I kind of was wondering about that but then yeah his dad was a or not i don't know if his dad was a trapper but he did a lot of trapping his kid i mean even like you know, small rodents and muskrats. And I think he really does know it. So he'd probably find it really interesting, but yeah, there was, there was um, go ahead, Lee. No, no, that, that was it. Oh, th th there was a really interesting study done by um, this guy Keller and he interviewed um, a bunch of different groups of people. And he had a whole series of questions about animal natural history. And um, the, the groups that scored the highest in, in animal, natural history, and behavior knowledge were um, birders and trappers. And uh, the groups that scored the lowest were um, trophy hunters yep. and um, anti-hunters. <laughs> so it's kind of a funny dichotomy. That, that is, and, but it's, yeah. you know, as you know, it's probably not surprising, right? From, because yeah. if you're a trapper, you, you got to look for all this sign. You got to know habitat, right? You have to know where to find animals and, you know, birders are constantly, I mean, I teach bird language, you know, you're, you're constantly, I mean, before I did it, it's like, I, now, now that I look back, I like, I wasn't paying attention to anything, <laughs> mm. you know? So, yeah. And I think both of those groups of people are, they're just always in the woods, you know, and very observant, mm. you know, which is really what it's all about. Yeah. I, I was just, when you were talking about density of bears, I ran another program just South of the border here. A few, it's been a few years ago now, but and, and I guess supposedly it has the highest or one of the very highest densities of black bears uh, just across in Mexico and the Borough Mountains. So hmm. we'd love to get you down there. It's tough substrate, but obviously bears, you know, you can, as you well know, you can uh, trail or track in other ways uh, besides just leaving footprints. Well, and, and in those desert environments, like in the Southwest, it can be really good when, when the substrate's dusty, if it's been dry for a while, um, it, can, it can be really good trailing for, with those kind of animals. It's crazy. Like bears used to be, you're in Texas and, you know, that whole hill country used to be covered in bears. Yeah. Um, there, there used to be a lot of bears, you know, throughout parts of this country where they're not anymore. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good point. I've read those accounts and I grew up there and, um, you know, even occasionally we get a few stragglers up there. Um, guys like Joan Evans, whom, you know, you know, chronicle that. So th that brings up a, a, a couple of questions, though, is in your own words, and again, for people that might be new to this or not that familiar, how would you distinguish or differentiate between tracking versus trailing? Um, I mean, there isn't really 
a difference, but <clears throat> we we sort of created a difference, um, you know, bringing the cyber tracker system over here to America because it comes from South Africa. And bef really before that showed up here, the tracking community in, in the States was really focused on identifying tracks, you know, and, and looking at them and interpreting sign and things like that. There were people that were trailing and locating animals by actually following the, the tracks and, and search and rescue people, border patrol that were locating people from following um, tracks and things like that. Um, so, but, but most of the wildlife trackers, you know, just, just considered going out and looking at a track tracking. So we kind of have pushed this word trailing just to differentiate the, the act of trying to locate an animal um, through the interpretation of their signs, you know, following it, right? And, and there's not really a difference, you know, um, but, but there is a difference in maybe the intention of someone who says they're going trailing specifically it is to find fresh sign and follow that to the animal, you know, at the end of the trail. Yeah, I find that fascinating. Obviously, they go hand in hand. And, you know, for instance, um, my students, I mean, the course is predominantly about, you know, in the terms you define it, tracking, you know, identifying. Um, and from a scientific perspective, obviously, that has a lot of uses. Um, but I, I personally am really attracted to trailing. <laughs> and uh, what is it, The Greatest Dance? Is that right? Is that the documentary? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, just our human ancestry and uh, was it uh, uh, Liebenberg says, you know, that it's like the, the oldest science, you know, or maybe an art and a science, but it's just amazing. You know, these guys following for eight hours, um, you know, and I've, I've heard story. I, I know you've been on trails for hours, right? And I've heard, you know, Casey McFarland talk about that and some others. And yeah, that's just, it must be an incredible experience. Um, it, it is. You kind of fall into the zone. Um, but what's neat about trailing is, um, you know, trailing really puts the the identification and, and interpretation of tracks into um into play and into like a rhythm and a movement so if you're following a bear through the woods and you're looking out into the forest ahead of you you see a uh, bark removed from a tree how quickly and how far away can you interpret the that as being either um, a bear cambium feeding or porcupine cambium feeding or an elk or deer antler rub, or just another tree that fell and, and you know, scrape the bark off, right? Because if you can, if you can distinguish bear, fresh bear cambium feeding way out in the distance from all those other potential signs, that can keep you on the trail um, faster wow. and more efficiently, right? And, and so when you're trailing, you are identifying and interpreting tracks and sign, but you're just doing it rapidly, sometimes a little bit unconsciously. Um, and, and you're not really like diving down into the details that we often do when, when people look at tracks and sign, you know, in, in a mud puddle or, or um, in a sandy road, you know, it, it's very quick, you know, interpretations. And if you need to take a close look, you can, but it's really neat because it just puts that into play, right? It's like a mobile tracking. Yeah. That's, that's really cool. I Again, one of the chapters I teach, I just cover one chapter on trailing, it's, but some of those principles. And one of the things I try to get across, and that was a great example of, it can be such a time saver. 
you know, and if you're on either you're hunting or, you know, job function, you're trying to find a wounded animal, a, a poacher, whatever the case is, I, I, you know, before I started learning this, it's like, I didn't realize how many strategies or tactics there were and how valuable they are, you know, and how much you know, save you time or making a mistake or whatever. And then the other thought that comes, you know, uh, from today's world, it just uses a different part of our brain. Obviously tracking does too. They both do. And, you know, like pattern matching, which is all like this artificial intelligence, you know, so sometimes I'm talking to people, I say, well, we actually are artificial intelligence or we have that built in, right? I mean, this innate pattern tracking, you can learn this, right? And it's, it's something that maybe a lot of it, well, we, we do use constantly, you know, like we evaluate city landscapes, right? We're walking around or a dangerous situation. We've seen something else is dangerous, but in terms of nature, we don't do that that much anymore, but it was absolutely essential to our survival at one point in time, right? Yeah. So uh, just based on that, can you maybe state some other things? You're a biologist, right? You're a trained biologist. Why is trailing an important skill? Um, and it's also, you know, I think fun, or you certainly seem to enjoy it. But, you know, what are some, I, I guess, practical aspects of it? Um, so I guess that there's two ways to think about it. Um, tra tracking and trailing with snow and then tracking and trailing, um, without snow. And, and when there's snow cover, you know, you can follow, um, almost any sized animal that moves around across the top of the snow. I mean, back when I lived in New England, um, I remember, Josh Roberts and I followed this um, southern fine squirrel uh, across the landscape, or was it northern? It might have been a northern fine squirrel. I can't remember at this point. But um, when we, we followed, we were able to follow this fine squirrel from tree to tree, and because the snow was um, on the branches, we could see which which branches that the squirrel was using, and and we followed the squirrel to different conks that it was feeding on, and and things like that. And, and so when there's snow, you know, as a biologist, when there's snow, um, you can obviously get a lot of information about smaller animals, um, you know, martens and fishers and bobcats and things that might be very challenging, if not impossible, to trail without snow, right? And then, and then without snow, depending on the conditions of the substrate, um, you know, obviously we can follow a lot of the big animals um, and then it just depends on the conditions of the substrate down to how small it is. But being able to follow any of these animals um, as they go about their lives through the woods, it gives you an, an insight into the uh, behavior and um, interaction of this animal with its environment and with other animals that uh, it's difficult to... Um, to develop that relationship and understanding of the animal any other way. I mean, aside from, you know, when you get to watch an animal, uh, it's pretty cool. And if you're in an environment that allows you to watch animals for long periods of time, then you can get a lot of this information too. Like, like um, Olas Muri, um, on one of his um, studies that he published was the diet of elk. And I can't remember where this was. I think it was outside of Yellowstone but he would spend all day um, observing an elk herd feeding. And then he would go over there and crawl around and try to find the plants they nibbled on, you know? <clears throat> and, and you can do that by watching animals in open environments. But, but if, if the 
forest is too thick to see the animal or if they're too skittish to let you watch them for very long, you're not going to be able to get these kind of observations. And, and so there's really no other way to learn about an animal so intimately than by following it and literally walking in its footsteps, right? You walk step by step where this animal is going through the forest. You can see the plants they've nibbled off or you can see where they've chased a deer, you know, if you're following a mountain lion or snuck up on a bedded bighorn sheep. Um, you get to see where the animal lays down and rest and how that changes with the weather patterns or um, if it's feeling pressure by other predators or humans. Um, you get to see their scent marking behavior. You get to smell the animal. So there's this, it develops this intimate relationship with the natural world that's very difficult to get any other way. And so as a biologist, having that foundation um, allows me to, uh, you know, confront a, a question, a hypothesis or a problem or a management goal, you know, with this, you know, kind of alternative, you know, um, relationship with these animals, right? So like I, I work as an ungulate biologist for the Yurok tribe right now. And so we, we do elk and deer, um, conservation work. And I've spent a lot of time with, with these elk and, and deer in these hills following them around. And so it, it just gives me, you know, a, a broader knowledge of how they behave and, and thinking about conservation of them and, um, you know, just helps in that way, helps guide that. For biologists too and, and managers, there's um, other ways that you can use trailing to collect, um, you know, DNA from fur or from scat. Uh, you can record habitat use, you can record behavior, interactions with, with predators and, and prey and things like that. So there's a lot of behavioral information you can get, um, as well as there's a lot of studies that are using game cameras now. And so you can use trailing to help guide where to place those cameras. You know, what's, what's the most likely place to capture the species and the behavior that you're, that you're going for, you know? So tracking really plays a role with that and can help guide that. Because I know... I know of, you know, camera studies that pe people just put out randomly, you know what I mean? And you're missing a lot out there doing it like that. Yeah, I guess you can fill in the missing pieces, right? So many gaps that <clears throat> trail camera's not going to get. I'm also reminded too, as you speak, that in addition, just pure biology or science, um, and again, I have some students who are, you know, game wardens or let's say veterinarian forensics. And I've got one, one guy wrote me in the last semester saying that, you know, once he started learning this, um, you know, and studying the course and then on his own, he actually pursued a guy who was in your neck of the woods, Connecticut, um, over a mile through the forest and caught the guy and charged him with the wildlife crime and killed a bobcat illegally. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's I mean, the possibilities are just, you know, really up to your imagination. Um, but but it's. Yeah, I mean, tracking has been used by border patrol and, and game wardens for, you know, before we had a lot of the technology, the old school field biologists, you know, they were, they had to be good trackers, you know? Um, yeah. So uh, if you were, again, somebody comes to you, uh, you know, just out of the blue and says, hey, Preston, I want to learn about trailing. How do you go about it? How would you advise them? And, and let's say, you know, they didn't have, you know, Access, it couldn't take a cyber track or you know evaluation or something like that what, what would you tell them yeah so um first off you need a place to go so you need um 
either a patch of public land, um, city, county, park, or national forest, BLM, um, or a, a, a ranch that a friend lets you on, you know, where, where it's legal for you to um, go off trail, right? <clears throat> and you need some kind of um, large animal there, like at least a deer-sized animal, deer, feral hogs, you know, elk, moose, things like that um, are, are good animals to start with, large ungulates, hoofed animals. Um, even, you know, cattle, horses, you know, they're, they're good animals to start with. And what I, what I tell people to do is um, just walk around this place until you see an animal, you see a deer or you see a, a hog, right? And if, and if they run away, great. If they don't run away, watch them until they walk out of view and then go over um, to the spot they were standing, find their tracks and, and try to follow them, you know? Um, I think that's a great way to start because you need to be on fresh tracks. The, the fresher the trail is, the easier it's going to be to actually catch up to that animal. And at first, it can be difficult to age, you know, what's fresh and, and what's old and what's too old to follow. And so if you start with, you know, um, tracks that you just saw an animal standing in, um, it's a great place to begin and the animal's not too far away. So that's a, a good way to start. Um, and then once you've had a little practice, maybe at aging tracks or, or following them like that, um, you can you can just walk around until you cut tracks that you think are fresh and, and try to follow them. And a couple of, um, you know, considerations to keep in mind are uh, what's the quality of the substrate? Um, because you're not going to be able to start on a set of tracks and catch up to an animal um, in any substrate across any condition of the ground. You know, just easy example would be um, <clears throat> when the ground freezes, right? If it's frozen solid, like a rock, I mean, I've seen a herd of elk run across the ground like that and you're hard pressed to find any sign, right? So um, consider what are, what's the substrate and, and start looking at conditions for when it's easier and when it's harder. Maybe when it's, um, when it's really dry, and dusty, uh, it's easier. Maybe when it rains and the leaf, leaves are really moist, you know, it's it's easier. Maybe if it um, if the leaves are dropping in the fall and covering the tracks, it's really hard, you know. So just things to consider are, are how difficult is the substrate, you know, to follow the trail, um, and and then just uh, just practice. Um, but really, you want to be on the freshest tracks you can. Um, cause those will be the easiest to see and the closest to the animal. And, um, you, you just need to persevere and recognize that like every skill, uh, you're not going to be very good at it when you start, right? Um, like playing an instrument, you know, nobody can pick up the guitar and just rip on it. And, you know what I mean? You have to put your, the do your time in, put your dues in, learn the scales and, and practice your chords and, you know, build up this skill set that you can put into to play later. And so it's the same thing with, with tracking. It's, it's, you know, start when it's easy, work on just following some tracks, work on seeing difficult tracks, um, work on finding the trail after you lose it. And, you know, within, you know, a few months, um, certainly a couple of years, if you do this regularly, you know, you'll start to have some success, maybe catch up to animals um, every now and again and, and build from there. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think it's evident by what you said that, again, depending on where you live, uh, time of year can play into this as well, right? And if I remember correctly, where you are and when you're out uh, tracking trailing bears, springtime is really good time. 
Yeah, uh, yeah. It, 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 you know, yeah, the substrate it plays a, a huge role in your ability to, to find an animal. It, it, the other thing that plays a, a very big role is, is a person's intimate knowledge of the landscape and the behavior of those animals. So when you're learning, and just across the board, obviously, um, there are substrates that are going to be easier to follow tracks in and substrates that are going to be too difficult to follow tracks in. But when someone knows an area really well, they can, they can make larger jumps across difficult substrate and, and bigger leaps of um, like intuition of where they think the animal's going to get back on the trail just because they know that area so well. But, but definitely to start and, and in general, the substrate, you know, is going to dictate whether or not you can find an animal or not, you know. Um, so he, where I am here, yeah, springtime, following bears, it's excellent. Um, it can be so good that you can catch up to bears, you know, you start on a trail and you can find them and, and sneak up on them. It's pretty cool. In the, in the middle of the summer, uh, it can be very, very difficult and, and to, a, to an extent impossible, you know, to start on a fresh track and find that animal. Yeah. And I guess um, that's where also knowing the animal or the species and being familiar with their behavior and habitats they prefer and time of year, what they're feeding on, which obviously you're going to learn that if you trail anyway. Uh, but if you know some of that ahead of time, I would think that's very helpful. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Just basic, you know, natural history information. What do they eat? When is that, you know, food available throughout the year? You know, what, what are their you know, what's driving them at this time of the year? When's their mating season? That kind of stuff. Yeah. Just general biology information for sure. It's very important. Yeah. What about if you happen to live in an area, let's say that uh, doesn't have any of those big animals or, you know, short on time, whatever the reason is, substrates may be tough. Have you tried or do you recommend people cutting their own trail, you know? Uh, and, and if so, you maybe describe that process and how that works. Yeah, that's, that's great practice. You know, when, when we're trailing, you know, really what we're doing is um, we're looking for disturbances in the distance against the background of the forest, right? And the quicker you can recognize those disturbances, you know, the, the faster that you, or the more efficient you can move on the trail, I shouldn't say faster. Um, and so just for, for practice, if you have 10 minutes or if you're in a location that's a little far from um, you know big animals to practice on it it's a great idea to walk through the woods lay down a trail you could do a big loop and come back to where you where you started and 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 then try to st stay on your trail and just practice seeing that sign in the distance right how far ahead can you see it step through different substrates so it changes um you know you can you can you can make it easy to start and then you can make it more difficult as, you, as you're progressing, but for sure. And what I do too is like, even when um, the substrate gets really challenging, you know, if I'm driving around for work and I'm driving in the mountains back here and I jump a bear or I jump a deer, um, I'll get out of my truck and I'll go look at where that animal went into the woods and I might try to follow it. And, and sometimes um, the substrate is so challenging that I can only positively stay on the trail for 50 yards or maybe 300 yards until it peters out and I can't be sure of where the animal went but but I still practice that because you know it, it's good to just keep your eye sharp to see what it looks like to see a really fresh trail even if it's difficult conditions you know maybe maybe you can only see 10 tracks in 100 yards but you know you got 100 yards in really hard conditions and it's it's all practice you know yeah 
Yeah, no, I think that's good. I, I've done some of that. And, you know, like you said, you, if you're cutting your own trail, you can really mark it, dig your foot in, you know, as you're going, um, you know, makes it easy at first. But then you also learn all kinds of things like about aging, you know, what it looks like next day, what it looks like or how quickly the, you know, grass pops back up, you know, and yep. next, it depends on all kinds of things, time yep. of year, weather, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. And something else I do too, is when I'm just walking in the woods, I like to walk behind people. Cause then I, I look at the tracks that they make, you know, and I look at the tracks actually bounce back or disappear or, you know, even if it's difficult conditions, um, if I'm just working with someone like with my texts or something and they're walking in front of me, I'm always just kind of watching to see, Oh man, it's really tough to see their tracks, even though they're right in front of me, you know? <laughs> yeah. 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 That, that's fantastic. And I've, I haven't done this yet with my kids, but I want to do that log trick where, you know, you tie a piece of rope, maybe you, have some nails or something pounded into a log, you know, and drag it and then just, you know, see if they can follow it, what have you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And that, you know, and we, we talk a lot about wildlife, but I mean, this skill set is also super valuable for search and rescue, mm. you know, so definitely practicing on humans. I mean, that's, it's great, you know, great practice for sure. Can you discuss, especially if someone gets, um, you know, better at this and over time starts to become proficient, like you're saying, maybe probably takes years to really, you know, get good. But there's also some ethics involved, I guess, in trailing, for lack of a better term, or some, you know, do's and don'ts. And can you talk about that? And, you know, as regards to, you know, trying to find animals, getting close to them, disturbing them, not disturbing them, and also just some do's and don'ts, because one of the goals is obviously, you know, you want to get close to wildlife. And so, I know in the cyber tracker eval, there's some things that, you know, if, if you do this or that, boy, they bust you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe you just speak to a few of those. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think, you know, first off, um, you know, I think it's important to consider that we are uh, doing this, you know, probably for fun, um, pro probably for um, maybe professional development, um, but very few of us uh, are going to live and die from our tracking, you know, skills. Um, especially those of us that are probably listening to this on a computer, you know, um, we're not living a, a true hunter-gatherer lifestyle, right? So it, it, it's not a life and death situation. Um, so it is important to consider what what's our impact, you know, on the animal. And there's really obvious um, times of the year that you you know you probably wouldn't want to push an animal like where it gets really cold and really deep snow and the deer yard up like those whitetail winter yards, you know, you want to consider, you know, what, you know, if you walk into there, what are you going to do to those animals? Are you going to make them run around, um, expend a lot of energy? Are you creating a trail that coyotes can then follow into there? You know what I mean? Um, maybe, maybe it's the opposite. Maybe it's during the hot dry season. Um, and you're trailing animals and jumping them out of their um, shady, cool beds in the middle of the day when it's really hot and, th and there's no water except for, you know, 2000 feet below you and they don't want to go back down there to get water. So <clears throat> definitely want to consider, um, you know, what are the stresses to the animals at, at, at this time of year and, and what's your impact going to be? Because our goal is to catch up to them and, 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 our, and our, really the ultimate goal is to sneak up on the animal, right? Without it um, observing us, um, which is very difficult to do, especially when you're dealing with animals that probably get hunted. You know what I mean? Most of the national forests, a lot of these big game animals are, are, are getting hunted. Um, they're not comfortable around people. If you were in Yellowstone or something like that, then they might be more comfortable, more tolerant, right? Um, 
And, and so, there's your own safety factor, right? Especially with yeah. a bigger animal. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's definitely a safety factor. Um, there are very obvious um, situations uh, that um, you have to consider for safety, like walking up on a grizzly bear that, that's defending a carcass or, or any bear with cubs. Um, but there's also less obvious, you know, situations, um, elk, moose, you know, when they have calves or will definitely defend them. Um, even deer to an extent that, you know, I got bluffed and charged by a doe with, with fawns. Um, and, and so, yeah, you want to consider safety. Um, and then, you know, for us in North America too, safety involves, you know, ticks and tick-borne diseases, you know, mm. plants that'll give you rashes, poison oak, poison ivy, things like that. Um, getting lost and, and just operating when you're following an animal's trail, you're not in places that people usually go and you're going to be zigzagging and, and, you know, swirling around and going down into dark tunnels and crawling around through the bushes. And all of a sudden you stand up and you're like, where is the truck? You know, <laughs> right. Yeah. Or, huh, it's sunset and I've been following this animal for five hours and four miles. Huh, so now what am I going to do? Right. <laughs> so just being prepared for that, um, keep an awareness of your surroundings, maybe a headlamp, you know, having some clothes, you get things like that. I mean, this is one of the things, this is why to me trailing is, um, I, I don't say I'm my favorite and I don't get to do near as much of it and substrate is tough, but I just love it because it's all encompassing. I mean, it includes so many things from, other skill sets, you know, and our bird language, your bird alarm, or you like said, keeping track, navigating, right. And, you know, being aware of your surrounding, you know, the wind, right. You know, knowing the direction, obviously, if you're hunting, that's super important. It's just so many facets to it. And I remember I did a workshop with you last year, which is great. And, and I've done a lot of backpacking before and it's great, but when you go off, you follow an animals trail, gosh, you see so much more in terms of other animal sign and wildlife and, you know, nests, beds, you know, whatever the case is that it, it just, and again, you can kind of lose yourself in it, you know, right. And depending yeah. on where you are, that can cause some problems or time of year or weather, but it's just amazing at all the things that it, again, I don't People, know if one well, skill, it's one I would choose, but I mean, I can't think of one where you actually learn more. If you, when, when you, when you, when you commit to following an, an animal's trail, and a lot of times I, I find tracks by walking a hiking trail or I'm walking an old road or, you know, and, and so as I'm walking along, I'm kind of in this human mindset, you know, two feet walking upright. But when that animal leaves that, that human road or that human hiking trail and goes into the, you know, the forest or into the desert, you, you literally and figuratively, um, leave that the human the anthropocentric world and and mm -hmm. enter into that javelina or that wild hog or that bear's world physically and mentally because to, to move quietly through the woods a lot of times you're crawling you know these animals are, are low to the ground and and so you have to get under bushes and and, and to to move efficiently you, you have to move on their trail as well and so and so you start to navigate the environment in a way that's not human you know it, it, it is the way that the javelina sees the desert or it is the way that the bear sees you know the the bush and and when you start to follow that trail long enough and and well enough that you don't have to think about the process 
you, you're just kind of do it and, and you're not thinking. And, you, and when you spend hours not thinking, crawling down a bear's tunnel and, and looking at what it's eating and smelling at what it's smelling and laying down in, in the animal's bed, you shed this human you know, um, mindset that we're in all the time. And it's a really unique perspective and, and cool to just get into that different mindset, you know? And then what, what we do on, you know, the cyber tracker evaluations is we're, we're rating, you know, people's ability to follow trails. But one of the things that we look at is um, as the trail becomes more difficult to follow, uh, is the person still able to be aware of their surroundings? Do they still know where we are in relationship to where we started? Are they still paying attention to the bird songs and the bird alarm calls? Are they still aware of the wind direction? Because this is what we see happen is as the trail becomes more difficult, these other awareness levels shrink, right? Until it becomes so challenging just to follow the tracks that someone- get tunnel vision, right? The tunnel vision. And they have yeah. no idea where they are in the woods anymore, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I remember on one of my specialist evaluations, we had been crawling in circles through Salmonberry on these bear trails. And um, at the end of the day, Nate, you know, and Brian and Mark said, okay, we're done. And um, Nate looked at me and he goes, how do we go home? You know, just to see if I knew which way to even go, you know? <laughs> and Let me get my GPS out. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, and, and other stuff too, like um, I, I had an experience as my wife, she's a biologist. We were on uh, actually our honeymoon in Italy and in this, I know that most people wouldn't think of this, but there's a couple of national parks there that have uh, bears, brown bears and wolves. And so, you know, we came up and um, I, I guess, correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the cyber tracker metrics is you come up to a ridge, you know, and you don't want to just pop up over, right? Or you come to a clearing, you're in the forest, you know, you got to stop and pause, right? And take stop and take stock, excuse me. And she kind of wanted to plow through there or something. And I think she ended up staying behind, but, you know, I stopped and really worked. And then I waited and paused, you know, made sure the windows right popped over and sure enough, there are two wolves there, you know? Oh, and then, yeah. And it was awesome. And then they, they kind of, you know, do this thing, you know, you know, what's, you know, where'd you come from? And then they took off, you know, as you would expect, but it's just amazing when you follow those rules, you see so much more. And, you know, if, like you said, if you don't get in that tunnel vision, you know, which can lead to other issues, as you described. Wow, that's cool. There's probably not too many wolves there. <laughs> no, there's not. I, I saw another one in Romania on another trip, which was really just, just a glimpse. You know, it's really, really fast. But um, it, it's amazing. This stuff really works. You know, it, it does. And um, I was I've just blown away and, you know, doing that workshop with you last year and, you know, I'm dealing with Casey before. And it's just it's incredible. You know, it really is an amazing skill. And Actually, if, if you don't mind, um, and I know you have a lot of them, <laughs> but uh, do you mind sharing just uh, maybe one or two kind of your favorite sort of, you know, trailing stories and, you know, yeah, either, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I'll tell you one from this summer in June. Uh, I was in um, North Idaho uh, with uh, Sandy Reed and Christy Freeze. Um, we're doing some trailing. And where, where were you exactly? The North Idaho. That's as specific as I want to get. Oh, okay. Um, gotcha. Yeah. Um, and actually Marcus Rainerson was there, but left before this happened. And Melissa Weeks showed up um, a couple of days after, but anyway, 
we were, we were practicing trailing, you know, that's what we were there for. <clears throat> and we were cruising yep. up a road in the truck, just looking for fresh tracks. And um, Sandy looking out the window said, oh, hey, there's a pretty fresh doe and fawn trail here. And I said, oh, well, let's look at it. You know, we wanted to really focus on bears and, and bigger animals, I think elk and moose, but, but we, this was really fresh. And so we decided to look at it. Um, the, the road we were driving in was a dirt road paralleling the road was a um, recent logging operation, right? So for about 300 yards, it was pretty clear. And then there was forest behind that and then a mountain going up behind there. And the deer tracks were going into that um, logged area. They're very fresh. <clears throat> and I asked Sandy if she wanted to follow them and, and she said that she did. So we parked the truck, grabbed our stuff for the day because um, you never know what's gonna happen when you're trailing, take, your, take all your stuff and, and started going. And, um, Sandy was um, doing really well at following these deer tracks. You know, um, deer can go from being super easy to follow and in a couple steps be almost impossible, you know. And, and, and she, when you're moving well on a trail, um, it creates um, efficiency and, and it allows you to move quietly, right? <clears throat> when you're struggling on a trail, oftentimes you just make more noise. So. So when someone's moving well on the trail, it, it's just quieter and, and smoother and there's less disturbance, you know, to the, in the environment. And so because Sandy was following this trail really well, we moved across this um, patch of clear cut um, quickly and quietly. And as we came into the edge of the woods, uh, the hill kind of dipped down and there was a, a big pond and um, she wasn't sure there was two game paths going around the pond and she wasn't sure which way the deer went. So she just took the left one. And as we got down into this cedar flat, she found some deer tracks, right? So we knew we were on the right one. And when someone is, is following the trail well, um, I don't have to pay attention to the tracks as much. I can, I can be paying attention to the, the broader picture and I can be looking for animals or I can be looking for the animal sign way up in the distance. <clears throat> and so because I, Sandy was following the trail so well, I, I, I was looking out ahead. And as we came down into this cedar flat across the pond, I, I caught movement. Actually, what, what I first saw was the texture of an animal's fur, which is the texture of an animal's fur often is different than the surrounding environment. And that, that's one of the things I key into when I'm looking for animals. So I saw this soft texture um, and then I saw a little bit of movement and I could see kind of the general color was brown and um, we were in grizzly country. And so I didn't know if I was looking at um, a grizzly bear, a uh, brown colored black bear, um, a moose, or maybe, maybe even an elk, but it didn't look right, you know, quite the right color for an elk. Um, so I gave Sandy and Christy, we have a bunch of different signals for when we see an animal, if we see a potentially dangerous animal. So I gave them the little signal, right? Um, that there's maybe a dangerous animal near us, you know, <laughs> and everybody froze. And I kind of, I kind of signaled, you know, to look that way, right? And, and they looked and they could see the animal. And, and we could, we could hear, we could hear kind of tearing noises and, and this weird crunching noise. And then we saw the animal's head come up, right? And a big, a big chunk of something with it. But when the animal's head come up, we could see that it was a bear and we could see the dished out, you know, nose of a grizzly, yeah. right? And so, so we knew it was a bear, we knew it was a grizzly. Uh, the animal was probably 
50 yards away from us. And, and we figured out very quickly that um, the bear was feeding on a carcass and, and tearing at the skin and the muscle and crunching bones. You don't want to also, be close to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then we also figured out that behind that bear was a bigger bear in the brush, just walking around back and forth and, and vocalizing to this bear. And so this is June, which is the peak of, of, of um, black bear anglers, grizzly bears mating season. So, so we had a, a sow feeding on the carcass of an animal and then a, a boar behind her in the bushes, just, you know, courting her, right? Because bears take a lot of courtship to mate. And so he's just vocalizing to her and stuff. So the whole time um, the wind was in our favor, it's blowing from the bears towards us, but we, we bunched up really close together and we all had our bear spray out and we're just watching them. And I was kind of, you know, in that situation, you have a couple of options. You could sneak away because the bears didn't know we were there. Um, or you could, you could stay to watch them um, and see what happens. And we wanted to kind of let it play out. So, so we just, we watched them and we got to watch this bear feed on this carcass for um, about 20 minutes, a good wow. long time. And until I felt the, the hairs on the back of my neck kind of stand up when the wind shifted and the wind shifted right at the back of us and drifted slowly over to that bear. Her head came up the instant, like the wind got over to her, her head came up and you could see her smelling, you know, and she just turned and bolted into the woods away from us. When her head came up and she smelled this, that was like the moment where I didn't know it was going to happen. Right. Yeah. Is she going to come towards us or go away? She just turned and bolted. The big bear, I don't know if he knew what was going on either, but he followed her too. And so they went all they went back in the woods and I know our hearts are pounding, but we were like, okay, cool. Let's back out of here. Um, you know, that was pretty sweet. We, we got back to the trucks. We drove up, you know, a few miles to be totally away from the area. And then we like got out and kind of decompressed and talked about how cool that was. We were following um, a freshly a freshly born deer fawn, a doe and her newborn fawn. I mean, the doe, the fawn tracks were tiny, and we we hypothesized that maybe the bears had killed that fawn because it you know yeah. like that was right where the trail was going. So we we and if it was a fawn a, a deer fawn, it wouldn't take a bear very long to eat. Yeah. So we we decided to give those bears the whole day, and um, nine hours later walk back in there to see what they were eating right so this time we parked the truck and um the whole way across the clear cut we're making noise hey bear hey bear you know stepping on yeah. sticks and yeah. cracking yeah. loud stuff and stopping and talking and we got to the top of the hill you know where it goes down to the pond and we stood there for five minutes just talking and making noise and we're like okay you know they're probably not here right <clears throat> so so we dropped down onto the right side of the pond this time and as we're approaching the thicket where the bears were, we're about this, now we're a little closer. We're about 40 yards away from it. The sow jumps up, <laughs> jumps wow. up, makes a bunch of woofs, and then runs away from us. And the boar jumps up too, and he runs a little ways, but then he turns around and he starts woofing. <laughs> you know, and so we're all like, whoa, hey, you know, you know, hey, we're people. And we just start backing out, right? And the whole time bears spray. <laughs> Hairspray in front of us, just backing out, you know, walked, you know, 400 yards back backwards to the car, got in and we were like, geez, you know, we didn't think they would stay there the whole time we walked in yelling. So we left. And um, the next day we got up and we were trying to decide if we should give them more time or if we should just go in there to see what they were doing. And, and we decided to pull up and, and see what it felt like. And so we pulled up into the truck and we got out and um, 
I can't remember what it had sound, what it sounded like before when the bears were there. But the next morning when we pulled up, there were birds singing and we saw a turkey in the clear cut, like near where the bears had been. And it just felt different, right? And we're like, okay, I think we can go in there, you know, this time. So we, this time we did the same thing. We're just making a ton of noise, walking in. We get down to the thicket. We're making lots of noise um, and nothing happens. And we walk up on the scene and um, the bear had been feeding on an elk calf that, that they caught, you know, probably right before we got there the day before. So us following the doe and fawn and the bears killing the elk calf or just total coincidence, you know, and we happened to wow. be at the same place at the same time. Yeah. And, and these two bears, it was so cool. I mean, they, they dug a huge crater in the earth to, to bury, you know, the carcass while they were feeding on, on the calf. And there was a couple of beds nearby and a couple of piles of droppings. All that was left from the calf was um, part of one jaw, um, the four lower legs, um, part of the hip and I think that's it everything else was eaten hide the entire wow. spinal column the skull the stomach contents everything else was eaten it was incredible um and so but then the, we, so they were caching it in effect yeah yeah they they were caching it but they weren't they didn't leave they were sleeping like right next to it so they had a couple of bare beds right next to it and then they also had a big pile where they had dug earth and logs and covered up the, the calf, you know, in, in between feeding bouts. Yeah. And, and, um, and when we got there, the, the little bits of remains, they weren't covered anymore. So that was another signal that they probably weren't coming back to feed on it. Right. So, so then we decided, well, here's where, you know, two grizzlies were, let's, let's do some trailing. Let's practice grizzly trailing, you know, and we figured out where the bears had left and and following the bear trail can be um there's times when it's walking through like really high you know fresh plant growth that you can see you can see the trail for a hundred yards it's super obvious and then times where it's really subtle and you're looking for little scuffs and this trail was was a mixture of difficult and easy there was some plant growth that was flagging to help keep us on sometimes there was soft enough dirt to lead tracks but there was also long stretches of very hard just cedar you know forest with no plant growth where we couldn't see any trail and we'd have to you know predict the route and try to pick up a track farther ahead so as we're following these two grizzlies from that feeding site um we came out into a big clearing and on the other side of the clearing was a really dense dark cedar forest and the wind from that cedar forest was blowing towards us right inside the cedar forest too far away to see us, um, there was a deer snorting. And, and we talked about whether or not that deer was snorting at the grizzlies, yeah. you know? Yeah. And um, I, one, we, we had two options, either to fo keep following the grizzlies trail or to try to sneak around over to where that deer was snorting and see if the bears were there, you know? And in hindsight, I wish that we had tried to sneak over there that where that deer was, but I, I wanted us to, you know, stay with the trail, you know, because that's kind of the, the physical sign, right? <clears throat> and um, so we stayed with the trail and we ended up following them maybe another kilometer to where they had bedded down for the night. And then from those beds, the, the grizzlies took us right over to where that deer had been snorting. 
Wow. And then, wow. and then, and then the trail walked off and eventually um, vanished into some place that we couldn't follow. But we're pretty sure that deer was snorting at the grizzlies, leaving those beds that morning, you know? Yeah. Cause it was fresh yeah. sign. Right. And so oh, it was super yeah. fresh. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so it's pretty cool. What a great story. And that perfectly encompasses what you were saying earlier about, you know, how you can learn all these things about behavior and how they were feeding and then what they did afterwards and how oh, other man, animals yeah. react and obviously some bird language in there. You know, you're talking about, yeah, that's just, that's incredible. It was cool. It was pretty special. Yeah, it's pretty neat. Wow. Well, hey, in our remaining time here, um, just wanted to ask you again, someone's listening to this, and they're interested. But let's say they haven't had time to, you know, learn on their own um, or, you know, just a little bit. Can you talk about what people will learn and just the usefulness and either just, let's say, taking a workshop that, you know, someone like yourself is doing or, or even a, a cyber track or eval, let's say they haven't done one before. Um, what can they expect and, you know, what kind of experience is that? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'd say that there's, so there's a difference between the evaluations and a workshop. And um, the, the evaluation and certification process, um, it is a field test, you know? So there is an element to being tested there. And the cyber tracker process is broken in two modules, the track and sign ID and the trailing. The track and sign um, evaluation process can feel more like a workshop you can show up to one of those without knowing very much. And if you're totally unattached to the score that you get, you're gonna learn a ton of stuff. Um, just because of the way the process is, the evaluators ask a question, everybody gives their answer. And then if, if, um, if there's disagreement about what it is, they go over the field marks. This is how you identify it as a canine instead of a feline. This is how you differentiate it as a wild canine instead of a domestic one. And this is why it's a red fox and not a coyote, right? So, so the, all those field marks are, are pointed out to you. And so the identification evaluation, um, you will learn a ton. The trailing evaluation is a little different because you're really put on the spot to perform. And, it, and it's an opportunity for you to perform and to show us what you can do. And, and, um, and so it, the feedback we give, we give it at the end um, to everybody as opposed to in the moment when it's happening. And so it, it, it's a little less like a workshop as far as um, what you think you're getting out of it. But what's really cool about the trailing evaluations is that you get to watch the other people track. And, and so you, you get to see other people in front on the trail and, and what they're doing and, and what they're doing right and where, you know, what they might not be doing right. And you actually, you'll get to see the evaluators look for the trail because everybody, everybody loses the trail. And at some point, the evaluators are probably going to have to find it. And so you get to see them look for the trail. Um, and, and you get taken along an animal's trail in a way that will show you how to trail effectively. And so you do learn from the trailing evaluations, um, but it's not as, as quite as clear of a workshop as the identification ones are. Um, and I would suggest if you haven't ever done any trailing to do a workshop before you take an eval. Um, not necessary, but um, you know it will help. For sure, and so the evaluations have to be done with a certified evaluator, right? Any, any cyber tracker evaluator has to get a specialist 
and then um, train to become an evaluator. So we've all been through that process. But any, anyone that's certified as a, a level four um, or professional tracker, a specialist or a senior tracker um, are all people that I would encourage someone to take a workshop from because they, they've all scored 100% on an evaluation and they're very skilled at what they do. And so anyone, you know, if you go to the tracker certification North America website, it has everybody listed and what their, what their certification level is. And if anyone that has, is a level four professional senior or specialist offers workshops, I would say, you know, call them up and see if they can come to your area to do it. Um, and, and what you'll get is from a workshop really is a breakdown of the process for trailing, um, how to identify a trail as fresh, how to identify hard substrate, how to look for routes of travel, how to find the trail when you've lost it, talk, you know, talking about animal behavior, um, how to navigate through the woods, things like this, right? How to move quietly. Uh, you know, if you're looking to identify and interpret animal sign, <clears throat> you're gonna talk about, you know, what are the different species behaviors and how does that manifest in the environment? You know, how does it look like when they scent mark, things like that, how to differentiate you know, the diff, all the different mustelid weasel tracks, things like that. So you'll, you'll get a breakdown of, of all these different things. And you get to spend time with someone who has devoted, a, you know, a lot of their energy towards, um, you know, an intimate relationship with the natural world and how these animals, you know, live and die in it, um, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I can uh, personally attest they are great learning experiences, both of them. It, it's incredible. And like you said, in very different ways, but, um, it's it's amazing all the things that are covered in there and um you know before i started this years ago i, I really had no idea that it would be that comprehensive so um if you're interested um yeah definitely uh you can go to cyber tracker and uh, check out their calendar um or you know like, like preston was saying find people in your area you know who are qualified uh because it's well worth it Hey, Preston, uh, tell us just a little bit about your book, Tracking the American Black Bear, and what's in it and, you know, what you cover. Yeah, um, so, so I wrote that book to describe um, the, you know, trailing and how to find animals, right, and try to describe the process of, of how to learn how to effectively trail and catch up and sneak up to animals, um, which for me was, you know, a lot of that was guided through the cyber tracker process, right? Um, and I use bears, I use black bears kind of as, as a, a subject matter for discussing how to do that. But, but it's not just about bears. You can take the lessons, you know, and descriptions of techniques from that book and apply it to any animal that is leaving a trail that you can follow. It's really, it's really a, a, a recipe for how to trail and catch up and find animals. Um, and that's what I was just trying to do was just show what is possible, um, show what maybe is not possible, um, and talk about, you know, the successes and struggles that I've had over the years trying to learn this skill. Um, and then, and then kind of illuminate, um, some cool features of black bear natural history that, um, is out there. Some of it is out there in scientific articles that might be hard for some people to read. Some of it is not out there. Some kind of neat things that I figured out. Um, and, uh, and then I also part of it is about hunting and, and my approach to hunting and, and my thoughts on hunting. Um, you know, for me, <clears throat> hunting 
is this ancient human, you know, skill set that probably made us who we are and certainly um, is something we re relied on to live for a very long time. So, so it's part of us and um, it's definitely controversial, you know, in, in the modern times. And <clears throat> I just wanted to show um, a potentially other side to it um, that maybe was more thoughtful than the most hunting people portray themselves. Um, as well as uh, compassionate, you know, I care about these animals. Um, it, it's not easy to kill them, um, but I do eat them and, and, you know, sustain my life on them, you know, and it also kind of has developed a, a, a pretty deep relationship with them, you know, relying on them in that way. Um, so I wanted to, you know, show that side of it too. Um, for better or for worse, you know, <laughs> I kind of wrote the book. Well, hey, thank you very much for that. Um, and uh, again, that website is trackerlongbows.com. Uh, and it's an awesome book. It's very well written. And um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. And thanks again. It's been a great time. Hope we can have you again sometime.